Rica is live and underway here on ESPN Plus. Alongside Hercules Gomez, I'm Sebi Salazar. This is episode 273 of this fine show, and we are coming to you live after midnight here on the East Coast. Though, Herc, you are still, as usual, stuck in the past back in Tuesday. How are you doing there on the West Coast? <laughs> we are still in the correct time zone. Mm-hmm. You jumped ahead and was hoping it was already another day so you didn't have to witness or still feel what you feel. I can't believe you wore that jersey right now today. <laughs> Bro, you know I'm traveling, so we don't have a lot in, in the luggage. Uh, I wore this all day today. I was confident. It's also the only shirt I have. I got nothing to change into after. Uh, I, did they? Did they not win that game? Did they? Did they not advance? Did something happen after after they won the penalty shootout? Of it's course, complicated. The, uh, it's, it's complicated. complicated. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I've heard that before in my life. Uh, of course, the uh, League's Cup round of 16 just came to an end. The quarterfinals are set in the League's Cup. Uh, LAFC and RSL just wrapping up. we got a lot to get to in this show. Ali Krieger is going to join us in just a few minutes to unpack everything that happened with the U.S. women's national team as they went out in the round of 16 against Sweden. we got Christian Pulisic scoring in preseason for AC Milan and Herc, a bunch of news out of Mexico. Jimmy Lozano looks closer to the full-time job. Tuca Ferretti is out of a job. And Edson Alvarez has a new job, it looks like, in the Premier League. We will talk about all of that throughout this edition of Football Americas, but we start in the League's Cup with a look at the bracket. And then there were eight. LAFC, Rayados, Minnesota, Nashville, Philly, Querétaro, Inter-Miami, and Charlotte all surviving the round of 16. Let's bring you some of the uh, best from the round of 16, which actually uh, kicked off on Sunday, Lionel Messi's Inter-Miami taking on FC Dallas. The Messi show on the road. And Herc, six minutes in, Lionel Messi went to work. A quick strike. Have you seen anything like this before hooking up with Jordi Alba? I've seen this a thousand times. Jordi Alba cut back, Messi at the edge of the box. And then the most delicate of touches, like he put it with his hand. He knew exactly where he wanted to go. A play that he's done so many times before with Jordi Alba. It was Miami were up 1-0. Dallas would score three unanswered to take a 3-1 lead at the hour mark. 65th minute, Messi to Alba to Benjamin Kramaski. Yes, it's 3-2. The kid. Yeah, the kid, the teenager gets his goal. But look at this through ball from Lionel Andres Messi. Megs, the defender. Jordi Alba cuts it back. I know you've seen that before. And Kramaski finishes it off. Inter-Miami would then score an own goal of their own from Robert Taylor. FC Dallas returning the favor here. What's Marco Farfan doing? Well, when you face your own goal, that's what's going to happen. The profile, the setup, it's all wrong. He's facing his goal, and I guess now he can tell his family members he had a a goal he scored from a Messi assist. 4-3 at that point. 4-4 in the 85th when Messi does that. I'm running out of adjectives. I'm running out of words. I'm running out of ways to describe this guy. So we go to a penalty shootout. Messi steps up first, wearing the captain's armband, no doubt here. Gave him the eyes, then the hips. Messi putting Inter-Miami in the driver's seat. Paxton Pomichol, one of Dallas's shooters, and Herc the one to miss. Oh, man. They're still looking for that ball. Messi's happy. The aforementioned kid, Kramaski. 
buries it with a fifth and final penalty. And Inter-Miami are through to the quarterfinals as they win 5-3 in a penalty shootout over FC Dallas. So another brace, Herc, for Lionel Messi. Was it his best performance yet in an Inter-Miami shirt? It was. And it's getting scary because <laughs> this guy was on vacation. He was on the beach somewhere in the Bahamas in the Caribbean hanging out, drinking Mai Tais with his wife and hanging out with his kids, not worrying about anything, maybe going to the gym once every other day, maybe trying to stay somewhat fit. But he wasn't by any means training. The fact that this guy can go from being on vacation to what is supposed to be a league and leagues already in their season and get continuously better. He gets better every single game mm. and continue to do this. I know he's the best to ever do it. He's the GOAT. At this point, I don't, even feel, I don't even feel comfortable saying he's one of the best. He's the best to ever play the game. At this point, at 36 years of age, to see him do it, I don't care what anybody says in Major League Soccer about Liga Mekis. If anything, these two, these two leagues are in season and high intensity, and Major League Soccer itself prides itself in its athleticism and how hard it is to play there, et cetera, et cetera. He's making them look like kids. He's making these opponents look like not even second-rate uh, players, third- and fourth-rate players. It's ridiculous. It's unbelievable, and it keeps getting better. Yeah. He scored, Herc, in the first 10 minutes of each of his three starts. And, and I'm thinking about the performances. We can put the Cruz Azul game aside, right, because that was only a half hour. But if you think about the other games, Atlanta United, they, they rolled Atlanta United. Did they need Messi? Of course. Did they need Messi against Orlando City? Of course. But he didn't leave it late like he did here. They were down 3-1 in the 65th minute. They were down 4-2, Herc, in the 80th minute. With 10 minutes to go in regulation, they were all but knocked out of this competition. And I know that, you know, Marco Farfan loses his mind there. But that's a very inviting ball for Messi. That's a ball that he puts in that's dangerous. And then the free kick. I mean, what more do you want from this guy? And the turnaround stats on Inner Miami right now are crazy. They're just crazy. In their 22 MLS regular season games, Herc, they scored 22 goals before he showed up. They got 11 goals in the three games he started. Like, forget MLS. Forget soccer. In, in sports, have you seen a turnaround like this? I don't think I've ever seen anything close to it. Now, Inter-Miami was last place in the league. They were a team that had won in like 12 mm -hmm. games. They May 13th. <laughs> May 13th, their last MLS win. They were hopeless. You're hoping that Messi decides that Miami is where he wants to live. You're hoping that he decides to change your fortunes. And that he does. He shows up to Major League Soccer, into Inter-Miami, to Fort Lauderdale, changes the complexity of that team, changes what their team's going to be for the future, the evaluation, changes how popular they are. They're now the third most followed team, uh, sports team, uh, on Instagram. It, it just completely changes everything for this club off the field and on the field on the field now all of a sudden they're the rival to beat they're the team to beat because of one player and the domino effect that follows yeah you know the other reason it was his best performance so far i think and we're gonna see this throughout is the jordi alba connection that second goal for me that that's the favorite i love the free kicks from messi but when he puts it through to alba who drops it for kramaski and there's there's clearly a, a movement there that involves another player beyond just the two of them 
you see just how special this inner Miami team can be. And that's the first start for Jordi Alba. It's also the, the first start for Diego Gomez, the new midfielder that the they Paraguayan brought in. The Paraguayan midfielder, yes. Exactly. So, I mean, we're really just, again, this is just the tip Tomas of the iceberg Tomas hasn't really team. played. They're going to get better and better. They're going to look more different. It's going to be more to his liking, to mm-hmm. his catering, around his strengths. You mentioned the free kicks. If I'm an opposing team... I stop putting in a wall. If I'm an opposing mm. goalkeeper, don't give him a reference because he's going to get over the wall with so much velocity, so much force that there's too much ground for you to cover. Just don't do a wall anymore. Stand in the middle of the goal. Take your chances because when you give him that wall, that mm-hmm. reference, he's going to do you in every single time. And I know you saw the online video from, from the back <laughs> angle of him adjusting the ball yes. millimeter by millimeter. I mean, it really truly is uh, it's art when you, when you watch this guy do what he does. So that's, that's Messi's individual performance. A lot to love there. The team performance, perhaps, though, might have left a little bit to be desired. And as we think forward in the tournament, and now we know what the bracket looks like for Inter-Miami, as we look at that side of the bracket, it's either going to be Querétaro, or Philadelphia. Do you think Inter-Miami are the favorites to make the final in that lower half of the bracket should they get past Charlotte? I mean, I I think they're getting past Charlotte, but I think that's as good as it gets for them. I I have Philly um, eliminating Inter-Miami. Messi is Messi, and he can do things on his own. Absolutely. He fabricated four goals. Like, those four goals came at the hand or foot of Messi, if you think about it. He was involved directly or indirectly in those goals. But they scored four goals on Inter-Miami. There are some holes in Inter-Miami's game, and you have to realize uh, Messi's trying to get fitter and sharper. So are Sergio Busquets, so are uh, Diego Gomez, uh, uh, Tomas Aviles, the rest of those players on that team. Some of those defenders, some of those players on that team that maybe aren't to the level or to the liking that Tata Martino would like today, and they're still getting used to each other. So... (laughs) To call them the out-and-out favorites just because they have Messi, sure, but they're defensively still a liability, and that's where I think advantage goes to a team like Philly. So I hear you on the vulnerability, because FC Dallas is not some offensive powerhouse, right? They're one of the weaker offenses in the Western Conference. The fact that they scored four, and if Jesus Ferreira has a decent day, it's five or six, is is very much a concern. Because when you go up against elite competition, I'm thinking the best teams from Mexico, those teams will be clinical. Do you really truly believe that Philadelphia Union are that clinical team? Because I'm thinking of some some games in CONCACAF Champions League. I'm thinking of MLS Cup last year where the Philadelphia Union have let teams off the hook that didn't have Lionel Messi playing for them. Yeah, but I'm thinking about the Philly Union that two years ago was a Supporter Shield champion. I'm thinking about the Philly Union that last year made the MLS Cup final. The Philly Union that got to the CONCACAF Champions League and and made a a decent run. Uh, That's more of a team. And they've been together. They've played together. They're deeper. You have to remember, Inter-Miami has Messi, so there's going to be goals. But Messi doesn't defend. Messi's not going to be the guy keeping the ball out of the net. And there's something you have to realize. Messi's 36 years old. Uh, mm-hmm. Sergio Busquets, he's in his mid-30s. So is Jordi Alba. Uh, that Joseph Martinez looks like he's still on one knee trying to get there. Uh, and they're playing every three game, or days. So there's an accumulation of miles on those legs. I don't think it's as easy as you make it out. I know you picked mm-hmm. Miami yep. like a week ago. Yep. And I don't know how good you're feeling about that today after seeing the performance <laughs> versus Dallas. But I'll still take the field. Look, to win the whole thing, it's, a, it's, another comp- it's another conversation. But I think to get to the final, man, 
I feel very confident putting my money on Lionel Messi against any MLS team. And if it is Querétaro that gets by Philadelphia, Querétaro as well. The, the teams in MLS don't worry me when it comes to Inter-Miami. When we, when we talked in, I don't know if it was the production meeting or in our text chain, you said it would be a, a disrespect to Philadelphia to pick Inter-Miami. I think it's a disrespect to Messi to pick any MLS team over Inter-Miami right now. Producer Beto, are we, doing what, are we, are we violating codes of WhatsApp here? What's, what's going on? Nah. This, this, <laughs> I think this was said. This, I think this was said this in the production is, meeting. What is going on here? It's, it's a in different... the Geneva Accord. Well, listen. Listen, I, I'm not wrong in what I'm saying. You said it yourself. FC Dallas is by no means a, a good offensive team. And look what they did to, to okay. Inter-Miami. This game should have been done. It was 4-2, to two, Sebi. They choked. FC Dallas choked at home. It's the greatest player of all time, sure. But they choked at home. The greatest player of all time doesn't play goalkeeper. He doesn't play center back. He doesn't play defensive midfielder. He doesn't play as an outside back. There are holes in Inter-Miami's game. He's involved in all four goals. Yes, but look at this. He scores four goals, and he still four, scored four goals against him. It went to penalty kick, Seb. And it was Dallas. I'm telling you, I will still take the field here. Now, final could be because if you look at that side of the bracket. I've gone through this a mm -hmm. month ago. The, the builder of this narrative wasn't anybody. It was me. I, I, I was the one who said, hey, look how easy <laughs> this road is, okay? However anybody else wanted to take it there is their own worries. But I realized how easy this road was. They will get to that final. Sure, they can get to that final. If Querétaro is the only Mexican team in their mm -hmm. way, they will get to that final. Phil is the only hope, the only hope that bracket has of not seeing Messi in the final. All right, so Inter-Miami advancing on Sunday, Herc. But there was a lot of great action tonight, Tuesday. So let's get to it. Grupo America and Nashville Tuesday in Tennessee. Oh, my gosh. What to say about this game? 61st minute, 0-0. Walker Zimmerman off the corner kick. Hey, scoring a goal. Uh, any day now, he will be a, a father to a new baby girl. Uh, golazo. Dedicated to his daughter. 78th minute. Diego Valdez off the bench and onto the score sheet. There are a few number 10s with the ability to get onto a ball like this with their head in CONCACAF. Diego Valdez, he's one of them. 89th minute, America attacking, pushing for a winner. Shot comes into the box, takes a weird deflection, and Herc, upon further review, we got to go to VAR. Handball call. Did they get it right? Yeah. Uh, what's the center back's name? McNaughton? More like McNaughty. Handball. Going to spot. Julian Quinones converts America up two to one. It's over, baby. We're going to the last day. Seb is celebrating somewhere on the Bristol campus. Wait a second, 99th minute? No, surely. No, Hani Mukhtar hangs it up in the air. Storage. Oh, no. Wow. Oh, no. These two guys were cones the last 10, 15 minutes. Hani Mukhtar was dead. Sturridge couldn't even get the ball. He, he wasn't moving. He seemed like he wasn't sharp. And then the play and the goal. Sam Sturridge, the late goal. So we go to a penalty shootout. Luis Malagón with a big save, and America won it. I literally changed the channel, walked out of the room, started celebrating, texting my mom, da 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 Then I get a text from, from Rafa and our production crew. He said, Nashville, Nashville came back. Nashville won. What? Yeah. Nah, you're messing with me. Nah, you're messing with Seb. You're trying to get Seb fired up. No, Malagón off his line. So Mayor gets another chance, and he converts. Oh, no, and then Jonathan Santos. He can't finish. So Daniel Lovett steps up, and that's it. Nashville 6-5.
advance to the quarterfinals of the League's Cup and leave Club America out. Herc, we hear the alarms. Is it time for alarm? Or should Americanistas stay calm? It's an alarm because it's another fracaso for America and it's the first fracaso for Jardine. It, it, there is no other way to put it. When you play for Club America, you're an America fan. You're supposed to make it to these finals. You're supposed to be a competitor. You're supposed to be there. You're supposed to win it. That's, the, that's what they themselves, you Americanistas, say is the bar. So anything less is a failure. Jardine with this team, now maybe to not too much fault of his own, but the results have not been there. Uh, the first game against Juarez, they turn it around them, they lose in the Azteca. Uh, the game against Columbus, they end up losing, and they get scored four times in embarrassing fashion. And then this, it's a game against Nashville where they completely controlled the run of play. Um, something like almost 600 passes. It was like over 60% possession uh, for the Club America. Uh, they had come back, and they're in the driver's seat. And in the 98th minute, they give up the equalizer. And they give up the equalizer in the most stupidest of ways. They go for an attacking play where they can kill the game off. They turn the ball over, and then it's route one on the outside. Hani Mukhtar, Sturridge hangs it up, sends it home, and rightfully so, Malagón is called for going over the line. He's not on the line, he's over the line. The confusion comes, Seb, because of the time that was spent in this penalty kick, okay? They miss it. What happens? America fans run onto the field to celebrate. There is security that is injured in the confusion when everything's the game is over because we don't have communication in the telecast. They have to re-go and take it, but they have to get the fans off the field. So five minutes, if not a little bit more passes, they redo it. He scores his, Jonah Dos Santos misses his, Yep. Daniel Lovett scores, and that's the end of the game. It's confusing. Sure it is. Was it the right call? Yes, it was. Was that the reason they lost? No, it wasn't. Yeah. Jack Marr, the, uh, the guy that got a couple shots there for Nashville. Hurt, this was the most frustrating game. Honestly, this felt like it could have been the Mexican national team play in the U.S. somewhere in Ohio. On the ball, having the ball, doing nothing with it, and falling behind on a set piece. Honestly, I, I thought I thought the game was over when Zimmerman scored. At that point, I was like, "Oh, this is this is it. This is this is Club America being a Mexican team in the United States." And then they did the hard work. Diego Valdez with the goal, Julian Quinones to finish off the penalty, and the the naivete, Herc, the, the the attitude with with nine minutes into stoppage time to be so relaxed as that ball hung, and I mean hung in the air for Surridge, uh, is just unforgivable for me. And I got to be honest. When I think about the team's performance, I actually have some calm because I can look and say there are some pretty serious pieces missing, right? You don't have Cabecita. Uh, Diego Valdez, been injured, just comes into the, you know, just comes off the bench tonight, didn't make the start. You don't have Richard Sanchez and you don't have Henry Martin. And the one game under Jardine where America looked great was the game against St. Louis to open leagues, cup the 4 nothing. They had Henry Martin and Julian Quinones starting together. We haven't seen that since, Herc. And if Henry Martin's going to be out for what? Five, five weeks. Five, six weeks yeah, with a cap injury. Why are you calm if he's going to be out? Because there are other guys coming back. There are other guys coming back. Who plays I, the nine, though? Think about this. Quinones for a while. Quinones, Quinones until looked, Henry comes back. Quinones scored a penalty kick, but he's not looked good or comfortable in the nine position. That's not, that's, his best position is either mm -hmm. the second forward mm -hmm. or off to the left. Mm -hmm. Cabecita Rodriguez, most people forgot he played on the team. 
They, they, were for, they, they forgot he was still with Club America. You wouldn't have known. Diego Valdez, I, I buy. I'm totally with you. I think he's the most important piece for Jardine. He, he's the guy who makes that team click. Leo Suarez had moments where I thought he looked good throughout this tournament. But there's mm. certainly a massive drop-off from a Diego Valdez to a Leo Suarez. Alejandro Sendejas... Since he's been with the U.S. men's national team, we've not seen the same Sendejas at the club level, national team level. He's not regained that form. Maybe it'll come back. Maybe he needs he needed that vacation and he needed a strong preseason. Yeah. Maybe it'll come back, but we've not seen that. So there are certain elements of this Club America team, and the biggest one of all, Jardine. Yeah, that's it. Jardine was the fifth, if not sixth, choice as a head coach for Club America which is one of the top teams in Mexico. They went with a guy that in two seasons never broke 20 points. It blows my mind. Yeah. I think, I think that's my cause for alarm. It's not necessarily the players. It's not necessarily the roster. I think this roster could win Liga Mekis this season. I don't know if they can do it with this coach. And as I see him now, I feel like there's a, there's a clock on him. He, he's a coach almost waiting to be fired as the pressure continues to, uh, to mount at Club América after a round of 16 exit in the League's Cup. Speaking of great matchups in the round of 16, perhaps a little bit too early. El Clásico Regiomontano, Tigres and Monterrey doing battle in Houston, Texas, of all places. Six minutes into this one, Noel with a comfortable save. Oh, that's what that stadium looks like, fool. Steady, steady. That's not what Noel does, good save. Rayados, more on the attack. Nearly an own goal here off the cross from Gallardo. Yeah, Gallardo doing very well, gets him behind. It's Guido Rodriguez, he's not the fastest. Samir does very well, he's facing his own goal. 22nd minute, Rayados still dominating. Nahuel, there to make the play. Yeah, Joao Rojas with the, with the shot, Nahuel. He's on it, he's got it covered, no big deal. <laughs> Look at him. 32nd minute, Tigres come to life. And you'll never guess through who. André Pierre Ginac, there he is. Yeah, it's Diego Linus in between players. Ginac off the right foot, then the left. Just couldn't get enough on Hector Moreno there to stuff it out. Into the second half. Tigres. Into the box. Ginac shot, blocked. Yeah, Gignac is asking for a penalty kick right here. He wants a handball. Looked on Hector Moreno. There's no handball there. I agree. Play on. Tigres with Cordoba just whistling over the bar. Look at this little ball right there. It's a good little ball and then the little flick. Cordoba's quick to react. Left foot. Doesn't miss by much. Still scoreless into stoppage time. Rayados into the box. Penalty shout, Herc. This is never a penalty kick. It's the Rayados <laughs> attacker lumbering himself into the Tigres defender. Tele Tigres, exclusively here on ESPN Plus. Sergio Canales delivers from the penalty Straight spot. Robbery. What happened to your Tigres, Herc? What happened? You picked them to win. Did you not see the game that they just dominated in possession? A penalty kick that wasn't? Mm -hmm. Listen, man. I don't know how you can call that. I don't know where on earth, with all the resources you have today with VAR, you can't see that it's the, de the defenders being clotheslined by the Rayados attacker, and you think the contact was initiated by the defender there? 
it, it, it's one of these crazy things. It's not the first time we've seen in this tournament. Probably won't be the last. Um, it's disappointing that you get to mm -hmm. see a Tigres versus Monterrey this round. Yeah. Listen, three weeks ago, before this tournament started, I started doing the math and saying, look how convenient all these matchups in the next round are, all these rivalry games. And mm -hmm. it's crazy to me that we are here. But guess what? Houston sold out. Guess what? It would be one of the most watched games. Guess what? Here we are talking about it. It seems to be working the way they wanted it to work. And now you get a, a matchup of Monterrey versus LAFC because the winner of this game, one of the favorites, would have to go eliminate themselves with a, another favorite like LAFC. I wonder about your perspective on a couple things here. Just the, generally the game. Like, what did you think of the game? Because it was a very tense, very classic, classical. Yeah. But it wasn't Fair. really, like, beautiful, right? It was kind of, it was all the dark arts, all the ugly stuff. The other thing I'm curious is what you thought of, of Sergio Canales. Uh, because it's a big, big signing for Rayados. Obviously, he has the penalty. It's a, it's a clutch moment for him. But our first kind of real look at him on the big stage for Monterrey. Listen, he scored a goal. And there have been plenty of stars in Rayo's history that when it comes to playing against Tigres, don't. They, for whatever reason, uh, go dry and they don't score goals. Uh, in high-pressure moments, we've seen Nahuel Guzman get into the head of the biggest of athletes in Mexico and beyond, and they don't pull off the play they need to. He scored the goal in the decisive moment, but his overall plays, overall sharpness, it wasn't like I was wowed. I will give him a pass because this is technically game one for him. Uh, he was in preseason in Betis, so it's going to take him some time to get one in game shape and two in game sharpness. So I'll give it to him. But when it comes to being a big time player on a team that spends massive amounts of money, the richest roster in Liga MX, he's one of the richest rosters in Latin America, he did what he was supposed to do. He stepped up. So I think Canales probably going to make some Rayados fans pretty happy. What about the Tigres fans here? Because you're, you're quick to pile on the Americanistas and say it's a fracaso. Uh, what will be the reaction for Tigres fans going out of this tournament at this stage to this rival? Yeah, to this rival is always going to hurt. I think the way they go out, I mean, it's like 90, what, third, fourth minute when the PK, and a very controversial one at that, gets called. And it's a penalty kick that ends up you losing the game. Um, but it comes after, and I'll, I'll say this you know, in the most blunt way, it comes after you having credit. You have equity in the bank mm -hmm. with your fans after winning a final. Yeah, that helps. If America had a title, I would feel a lot better about going out in the round of 16 if they were like Tigres, the uh, defending champions of Liga MX. Speaking of defending champions, Herc, LAFC, the defending champions of MLS, taking on RSL in the round of 16. Pick this one up in the second half because it was scoreless through the first 45, 52nd minute. Then Ibawanga, 1-0. You know it's a bad sign? No Carlos Vela. You know it's a good sign? He's back! He's back! Denny Bawanga's back! Route Carlos one. Vela, of course, uh, injured in the last game against Bravos. Didn't play in this one. Four minutes oh, later, no. it's Bawanga again. Oh no, is that Justin Glad? Oh no, he can't be too happy about that. See what I did there? I did. I did, Dad. Very good. Thank Two you. nothing at that point. LAFC far from done just a few minutes later. Ordaz makes it three nothing. You know, if you're if you're Leon watching this at home, you, you gotta be thinking to yourself, really? Like seriously? Come on. And why not make it a fourth? 
LAFC getting the uh, the kids involved. Krastev in the 84th. This is nuts. Look, <laughs> this is nuts because if you if you look at LAFC, that's 11 goals now in two games. There are teams in the quarterfinals. That's five games who have not scored mm-hmm. 11 goals. They didn't play the group phase, and they're already running on these type of cylinders. And RSL's not a bad team, huh? And they just rolled RSL without Carlos Vela. They're going to play Rayados. Where's it going to be, Producer Beto? In the Rose Bowl. Rose Bowl. In the Rose Bowl. You think LAFC, given at least home city advantage, I don't want to say home field because you never know who's going to actually show up with a stadium that big. You think LAFC is the favorite against Rayados after what we saw tonight? I don't. Uh, Rayados was one of the favorites coming into this tournament. It wasn't LAFC. It was Rayados. If you would have picked, give me your three, four favorites, I, I think it would have been Rayados, Tigres, maybe a Club America, and then an LAFC. Mm. So I will stick with Rayados being the favorites. But this is a different LAFC. Now, somewhere along the lines of their lead-up into the CONCACAF Champions League with mm-hmm. Leon, we were all on LAFC is a strong team. LAFC is the favorite in this matchup. And then they thoroughly get dominated by Leon, and they go on this run where it's an unrecognizable LAFC. It's a LAFC, the LAFC team, excuse me, that's not dominant, that's not proactive, but reactive, that's lost its swagger, that all of a sudden went dry with the biggest of stars, Denny Boanga, a guy who was tearing it up in the first 10 games of the league, I think he had like something like 16 goals in all competitions, goes dry for months. They found their form, they found their swagger. The one thing that hurts them is, and I will repeat, no Carlos Vela. When you play against the top Mexican teams, and I've said this before, the elite in Liga Mekis, I still think is better than the elite in Major League Soccer. You've overtaken the middle. You've overtaken that median. But in order to beat the elite, you have to have your elite players, your DPs, your figureheads, your franchise players come out and play. All mm. of them. Especially the biggest one you have. Now, Denny Boanga gets the goals, but I thoroughly, I really believe it's Carlos Vela that makes this team run. LAFC against Rayados. A dream matchup. When they first started talking about this competition, League's Cup, that is what they were hoping for. Let's take a look at the odds for who will win the League's Cup now that we have, no, we don't have the odds. We don't have the odds. Las Vegas is still calculating the odds, and we don't want to be uh, inaccurate uh, in any way here on Football Americas. What is very accurate is that this week is the beginning of the La Liga season. Can you believe it? Of course, you can get to all the games, English and Spanish, exclusively right here on ESPN+. Plus. But how about this? We're kicking things off with a game on ABC Saturday, 3 p.m. Eastern time. Athletic Club Bilbao against Real Madrid on ABC, ESPN Deportes, and of course right here on ESPN+. Pasión, determinación y constancia es lo que te hace campeón y mantiene tu actitud de ride or die, baby. eBay Motors tiene lo que necesitas para darle mantenimiento a tu vehículo y para llegar hasta el rendimiento máximo. Desde sobrealimentadores, sistemas de sonido, tubos de escape, luces LED y más. Si buscas velocidad, potencia o estilo, lo encontrarás todo en eBay Motors. Con más de 122 millones de piezas, siempre encontrarás justo lo que buscas. Y con Guaranteed Fit de eBay. 
tienes la garantía de que tu pieza quede perfectamente a la primera o se te devuelve tu dinero. Porque con eBay Motors, quemas llantas y no tu dinero. Con las piezas que buscas, a los precios que quieres, tu auto se convertirá en el MVP que te dará el triunfo. eBay Motors. eBayMotors.com. Solo para artículos elegibles se aplican restricciones. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Feel like you're dominating the game, playing well, but at the end of the day, if you're not finishing your goals, it makes it tough on yourself. Um, you know, U.S. style and everything that everyone wanted to see, and, and then we end up going into penalties. So it is what it is. I'm proud of every player that's, uh, that stood up, took a penalty. Yeah, it sucks. <laughs> um, it's tough. Tough way to go out at the end, um, being that close to it. Um, unfortunately, that's that's sports, that's soccer. Yeah, that, that definitely hurts. We make some, we miss, you know, opportunities, and it sucks. It's it's you know painful. It's gonna be painful. Um, yeah, unfortunately, this is my last time in this crest, so I'm excited for them in the future. There's just some, some dark, dark comedy in me missing <laughs> a penalty in my last. They say all good things must come to an end, and the U.S. women's national team's eight-year run as World Cup champions now over after the U.S. fell to Sweden in the round of 16 Sunday morning. The game finished 0-0 after 90 minutes, still scoreless after 120 minutes, and penalties. Sweden missed two of their first four kicks. U.S. seemed to be in control before back-to-back -back misses from Megan Rapinoe and Sophia Smith in sudden death. Kelly O'Hara. Missed her shot, Lena Hurtig's shot just trickled in despite the best efforts from Alyssa Nair. And Sweden advanced to the quarterfinals 5-4 on penalty kicks. A historic elimination for the United States. The U.S. out of the World Cup before the semifinals for the first time ever. Joining us now on Football Americas for more, two-time World Cup champion Ali Krieger. All right, Ali, we have had a little bit more than 48 hours to digest not just the game against Sweden, but the elimination overall. I don't want to spend too much time on the game against Sweden, but I think it's important because in the game against Netherlands and the game against Portugal, we heard the reasons why the U.S. struggled were about the lineup, the substitution choices from Vlad Goyanovsky. Well, against the Swedes... The manager seemed to get everything, at least in the pregame, right. The U.S. played well. The game plan worked. So why couldn't the Americans then get past Sweden? We couldn't finish our chances, and we had many. We created so many more than we have in, you know, the, the previous three games. And so that was impressive, the, the, the lineup. I think the personnel was the right choice. Um, but we just couldn't put the ball in the back of the net. And then when you do not, um, you know, make your – penalty kicks. Uh, it kind of reminded me of 2011 once again, where a few of us had missed. Um, so that's just unfortunate. And the way that, you know, we went out, um, it was a bit too late for us to, to have a good game. I wish we would have started like that at the very beginning of the tournament. Ali, let's talk about 2011. You were in that exciting quarterfinal uh, penalty kick shootout versus Brazil. You actually mm -hmm. hit the game winner, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. uh, what did you make of how the U.S. handled this shootout? Well, you know, we 
had trained, uh, you know, always had trained um, many times every single day to find out who would be the, the you know, group to, um, you know, go into the penalty kicks and, you know, super confident, whoever was, you know, wanting to take one and then whoever we had trusted to do so. So I know that for a fact that that was already planned because we had trained that before. Um, it's never, uh, you know, just a surprise and a last minute decision. So it's, it's shocking to me how it happened unfortunately on the world's biggest stage and in that moment it's really difficult to you know make your PK and stand up there with that confidence and, and smash it in the back of the net like you know Alyssa Nair did um, but yeah it was it was just a, a shock to me I'm still trying to process the whole the whole tournament as you know as uh, the U.S. went through and as a team so I'm just you know upset for the for the women and I'm upset for our country because I do think um, going into this tournament I had other expectations. Ali as far as the decision on the on the penalty kick takers uh, Alex Morgan subbed off in the 99th minute I would have thought well for sure if you're going to leave her on that right. long you might as well keep her on for penalties then she's on the bench she can't take a penalty you brought in two players in the 120th minute uh, just to take penalties uh what did you make of, of those decisions because that that really may have been where the game was decided here absolutely and i think christy muis stood up there and you know trusted herself rocked the shot luckily it went in um but then you had kelly o'hara come in and uh, unfortunately missed her pk i was surprised that they took alex out because she does normally take a pk or she usually is in the top three choices um and and then i was surprised that maybe lynn williams uh, wasn't a choice if that, you know, were the case and that was his plan all along, um, you know, put in players who, um, you know, would uh, score and uh, are used to that position because Lynn Williams is one of our three uh, at Gotham. And so I was I was quite surprised, um, you know, at that decision as well. Yeah. Still, you got Megan Rapinoe and Sophia Smith at the, at the back end of that lineup. I think most times you would take your chances. Let's go real big picture here. Uh, we got a homework assignment for all of us. We had to pick one word to describe the U.S. women's national team round of 16 elimination uh, at this World Cup. Allie, you first. What is your one word to describe <laughs> what we just saw? Disappointing for me. It was just disappointing. I had higher expectations, and unfortunately, we just couldn't uh, make it happen. Hmm. Herc? Expected. If you go back to the 2020 um, Olympics, maybe the gen generational change should have been there. You should have started preparing some of these players. So, so many players didn't have their first brush of actual international football at this type of pace. And then expect it because what we saw in the group phase um, wasn't what we normally see out of these women. It wasn't what we normally see out of the U.S. Almost 300 minutes without a goal. Expect it because even though they played well, they still were toothless up front. The very dull. In fact, they didn't get the majority of their chances against Sweden until after the 90th minute. And one could argue until Sweden physically uh, didn't have too much left in the tank. Uh, expected because of what we saw or have continued to see from Vlako Adonoski uh, uh, with the U.S. women's national team, especially in these decisive moments of not being able to pull the trigger with more decisive substitutions. Maybe not the way I thought they would go out, but ultimately going out. Ali, what do you make of what Herc's saying there? You know, Herc doesn't sound like he's very surprised. Are you surprised? 
Um, not really. I actually agree. Um, you know, I do feel like I was a little hesitant, um, you know, at the beginning of the tournament, especially watching the group stage games. I, I thought we could give more. I thought the team uh, looked, you know, like they didn't ha necessarily have an identity. Uh, people were playing uh, just individual you know, individualistic and it just, there, there looked like there was no, you know, uh, identity and principles being applied to the matches. And so I was a bit confused because, you know, you look at all of our talent, you look at the front six uh, or seven players who really have an impact on this team and who really have shown in the past, you know, six, seven months or even two years that they can finish, they can score, they can create. And, and um, you know, the opportunities were there. It just seemed like, uh, yeah, the joy wasn't there. The fun wasn't there. The excitement of being in the world's biggest stage, it just seemed very dull to me. And so, yes, I do agree um, with what Herc was saying. And it, it is for me just really disappointing because I had just such higher expectations. I wanted them to come out in the very first game exactly how they came out. And in the, you know, sweet, or sorry, the, the 16 game sorry, the, um, you know, stage group stage game. Um, and, and it's just unfortunate the way that that happened, because I think that the team did have that potential. All right. So Herc went expected. Ali went disappointing. My word here is final because it feels like the end, end of a lot of things, actually. I think it feels like <laughs> the end for some players. We just heard from Megan Rapino, Julie Ertz. I don't know if it's the end for Alex Morgan, Probably could come back for the next Olympics, but it's probably the end for her as the undisputed number one, number nine in the pool. It's certainly going to be the end for the manager. I don't think we see any way for Vladko Anonofsky to say. It's probably the end for his boss, the GM of the U.S. Women's National Team, Kate Markgraf. You can't really look at her tenure and make a case that she should stick around. Uh, it feels like the end of an era for U.S. invincibility at the world level. There seems to be no more fear factor for this team. Uh, and finally for me, and Ali, I wonder if you agree, it really feels like the end of an era big picture in women's soccer. In 2019, the team that you were a part of, you guys physically dominated all of these European teams down the stretch. I don't know that the 2023 team wasn't physically dominant, but I know that whatever physical advantages they have, it didn't matter because they were dominated technically. They were dominated tactically. And to me, I think technical players... Tactical coaches, that's the future of the women's game. And that's mm -hmm. why, to me, I think this is the end. The end, not just of an era of dominance for the U.S., but a, a total sea change in the women's game. Now, I'm known for being dramatic, but I think these are dramatic results. That means dramatic fallout. Ali, am I being too dramatic here? No, I do think that it's a managerial issue. It's a leadership issue, and he has to go. Um, even Kate, possibly. I, I don't know where that answer lies, but we need a change. We need a... a a fresh manager to step in to really get this young, talented group in a position to be successful again. And um, I definitely wasn't impressed in the past two big tournaments. I do think you make a case. He he has to go. He's had plenty of time. Um, and I've said this before. There's coaches who can come in with six, seven months under their belt and really create um, a team that you know can be successful with certain principles, with a certain identity. Um, and he's had many years to do that. And it just doesn't seem like we're there yet. So I, I do think uh, there's a short amount of time before the Olympics. They need to bring somebody else in to really uh, start to get this team back on track um, before we, you know, lose it for a longer period of time. 
Ali, what do you think his, his biggest mistake was, Vlatko Anonofsky, as the manager? Because there is kind of a, a laundry list, right? We can look at the selections on the roster. We talked about it on the ESPN FC women's soccer special, taking Alex Morgan as the only number nine, not taking Ashley Hatch. We talked about the preparation for the team, not using Savannah DeMello, then making her suddenly a, a starter at the World Cup. The lineups, the subs, maybe an over-reliance even on veteran players. What do you think was the thing that Andonovsky did that, that hurt this team or hindered it the most? I think not trusting in his players who he chose, the 23. Um, he didn't use his subs properly. I don't think he, you know, had the, the, uh, a vision of who he actually wanted to start because you have, for example, Alana Cook, who played center back for the national team and started many, many games this, these past two years and had, didn't even see the field. And then he, you know, decides to bring JJ in and JJ was playing the six all the way up until the tournament. And then because of Becky Sauerbrunn's injury, you know, he moves her back into the center back position and then tries to uh, change around the midfield. Um, and I just think looking down the bench, if you don't trust those players, then why would you bring those players to the tournament if you're not going to actually use them? In 2019 and 2015, we were able to change our lineups um, and, and make it super seamless. Uh, to be able to perform our best and to be able to give the starters a rest. And I remember that against Costa Rica. I think we beat them 3-0 or 3-1. Um, and we were allowed our players to rest before we had to go and, and play France that next game. And so I, 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 I just wonder why he would bring certain players and then not be able to put them in the game and be able to trust trust in them and trust in their ability to get the job done um, after you've been starting them and playing them for months and months. And so I think that's where he definitely went wrong. Uh, in previous years, we've had our lineup solidified for six, seven months in advance. You build those relationships, you build that consistency, you build that camaraderie within the team. And here it just seemed like everybody was just kind of thrown out there into the fire. Some people, like you mentioned before, had their very first cap and their very first experience at the World Cup on the, you know, at the, at the biggest stage. I mean, how, how do you just throw players into that um, is, is pretty incredible to me. So I think that, you know, there were some decisions there, um, leadership and manager decisions that I don't really necessarily agree with. I mean, I, I can't argue with the single word you just said, Ali. I, I will say it feels kind of tough to pile this on a manager that didn't have maybe some of his best players like Mallory Swanson, Kenner Macquario, Becky Sauerbrunn, you know, the captain of the team. So it does feel a, a bit too much. But then I think about what he did do wrong, and I can't disagree with what you said. I just don't think he's uh, capacitated enough. Excuse me. He doesn't have the capacity to be the U.S. women's national team coach. The U.S. women were the two-time defending champs. They were the best team in the world. The best team in the world deserves the best coach in the world. Vlako Nanowski was not the best coach. Vlako Nanowski didn't have the player resume. He was an indoor player. He was an indoor coach and coached the NWSL and had success there when there were nine teams in league and not nearly strong enough what we see the rest of the world has. So maybe we underestimated the rest of the world here and should have brought in a different coach. Um, as far as what you think the program needs. Is there anything that you think the program needs or can change in or around the program that it needs or can change now? 
Yes, I do think that when players now who are, you know, 14, 15 years old, you see a few in our league now getting into this, um, you know, professional atmosphere. I think we need more of that because around the world, you know, there's not many players. And I had this experience playing in Germany for five and a half years. I was playing with a Svenja Huth, who was actually just on the German national team, one of the captains of their team. You know, she was 16 years old playing in our Champions League game. We need more younger players thrown into our professional environment in order to stay uh you know the best in the world because this is how other teams are catching up um none of their players are going to college for four years and and choosing that over being a pro and so we have to kind of change the model that we that we set up for players not saying you know that going to school isn't important i just think that if we want to continue being the best in the world and provide the best players who are technically tactically um experienced um, intelligent we need to put them in our environment earlier than you know allowing them to go to college um, now nowadays you can take courses online you can go to the local college where your um, club team is or your pro team is so I think we need to change the model a little bit because now other teams are catching up and it's it's a drastic you know change in the gap um, you know, compared to the lower ranked teams and the higher ranked teams. And I think this is, you know, one way we can uh, fix that. School is for fools. If there's anything we know here on, uh, on Football Americas, straight to the pros. We see it all the time said. in the NWSL now. We see it all in the NWSL. <laughs> um, all right, one more thing before we get out of here, Alec, because it's been a lot of doom and gloom. Uh, there is a future mm -hmm. here, right? So let's maybe pick out one player. Maybe there is only one player who raised their stock at this tournament for the U.S. women's national team. Let's project forward with some sunshine here. Who boosted their mm -hmm. stock in Australia and New Zealand? Well, Naomi Gurma for me, obviously. I mean, everyone had, had probably the same reaction and, and idea, but uh, she was brilliant. She, you know, is playing uh, way beyond her years. Um, she's young, but she's in control. She's consistent. She's intelligent. Uh, she makes, you know, great decisions on the ball. Uh, she's good under pressure. I can't say enough good things about her. And I was in the camp, one of the camps, one of my last camps, actually, before um, the Olympics, where she had come in and she was playing the number six role and the center back role. And I just thought the world of her. I said she is going to be an incredible national team player one day. She's the future of our team. And now looking her looking at her blossom into this role, um, she will be a leader for years to come. And uh, she definitely, you know, uh, uh, was noticed at the World Cup. Um, I know she signed for San Diego for a few more years, but uh, maybe we'll see her over in Europe at some point playing Champions League and, and winning more trophies. Naomi Gurma, one of the uh, few standout players for the United States at the World Cup, but no doubt a standout. There she is, Allie Krieger. Great to have you with us here on Football Americas. As always, thanks for joining us. Thank you both. I always have a great time. And there it is, the last eight at the Women's World Cup, which for the first time ever will not feature the U.S. women's national team. Some great matchups there. Spain, Netherlands, Japan, Sweden, Australia, France, and England against Colombia. We'll be looking back on all those games on the next Women's Soccer Special Saturday morning on ESPN2. Join us at 11 a.m. Eastern Time as we'll be looking back on the quarters and looking ahead to the semifinals. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. All right, Herc, time to run it back with our good friend Christian Pulisic. AC Milan playing in a preseason friendly against Monza. Pulisic into the area. Nice little move and draws the penalty, Herc. Yeah, good little interchange. A few combinations. This might have been the third combination. Brought down in the box. Now he missed the penalty, but he follows it up with the rebound. That's when you know it's going to go your way. That's when you know it's going to be your day. It's going to be your season. He missed the penalty kick. But guess what? Second bite of the apple. Christian Pulisic with the goal off the rebound from the penalty spot as uh, AC Milan and Monza play to a 1-1 draw. But AC Milan uh, winners there in a penalty shootout. Big news out of Mexico. First reported by Gibran Araike of Tuden and now confirmed to ESPN, Jaime Lozano is set to stay on as Mexico's national team manager. He'd had the interim tag since replacing Diego Coca before the Gold Cup. Mexico, of course, won the Gold Cup with Lozano in charge. Jaime Lozano, 44 years old, is going to be Mexico's new full-time manager. Herc, are you cool? with a Lamborghini taking over L3. I'm cool with Jimmy Lozano taking over L3. You have to realize something. This isn't even recently, this isn't even as of a few years, through the history of Mexican football, the Mexican national team, the powers that be that run, that pick and choose, that decide the fate of the Mexican national team, who coaches, where they go play, how it's done, have not proven to be competent. I don't trust them to go out and get somebody better. I don't trust that if it's not Jimmy Lozano, whatever comes next will be worthwhile. So I will take the lesser of the evils, if you will. And Jimmy Lozano is a very good young coach. Jimmy Lozano has proven himself to these players. Jimmy Lozano, with what he had at his disposal with a team he didn't pick, I thought played very well. And yes, a second-rate tournament, but whatever was in front of him. We've seen other Mexican coaches in front of the same competition against the same type of opponents, struggle, not get the most out of these Mexican players. I am fine. I am okay. I am cool with Jimmy Lozano as a Mexican national team coach. I mean, that's just it. I'm I'm fine. Cool might be a little bit too strong. Am I super excited about it? No, but I've come around a lot. I know I used to say, look, that, that Gold Cup data, it's flawed. You can't really lean into that and say, hey, this guy has turned the team around. But I think when we talk about this Mexican national team, we have to acknowledge the toxicity both within it and around it from the outside. And Jimmy Lozano, for whatever reason, I think in large part because of his nationality, seems to have taken that toxicity down, not just a notch, 
but a few notches. I think that's very important. The other thing, Herc, that I think is very important is that this is not some type of long-term commitment. You know he's a cheap option, and you know if things don't go well in Copa America or any time between here and 2026, the Mexican Federation can easily pull the plug, Herc. And, and I, I know you make that face, but they have to be able to do that, and they have to be willing to. They just went down this road with Tata Martino, refused to pull the plug. They have to be willing, if things go south with Lozano, to make a move. You're, you're one of them. You're one of these Mexican Federation officials. You, there are no quick fixes here, Seb. There are no quick fixes. Now, this is the thing. Mauricio Imai, he was on mm-hmm. Auro Nunca, and we asked, you know, he's an insider, and he's got all the scoops when it comes to the Federation. We mm-hmm. asked him the same thing. I asked him, will he have, till 2026, will he have the World Cup? Mm-hmm. Or let's say something happens in Copa America, which is next summer, and he can't get the, re- the results that are desired in that tournament. He says, that is my fear as well. The fear that they won't give him the time to bring these players in to build for the future. They should have been building for 2026. Guess when? 2020, 2018, around there. They've not. So unfortunately, thinking that you're going to find a coach to come in with these players today and make them competitive to do something of value or exceptional in 2026, it's mind-blowing to me. That's not how it works. So let him work. Give him time. Since you mentioned Mauricio Imai, there's a few journalists down in Mexico that are bringing up a pretty big name when it comes to the Mexican national team. Antonio Conte. If you hear that name linked to El Tri, does that in any way change what you think of the Federation settling or hiring Jimmy Lozano? If I believed it, yes. And I have, I have my doubts. Listen, Rafa Ramos of ESPN threw it out there. They were looking for him. Uh, we made a joke about it on Auto Nunca. And Mauricio Imai goes, no, no, the Federation was looking. Yeah, they even spoke. But to think that somebody like Antonio Conte would be even somewhat entertaining the idea of leaving the world's elite when it comes to football and go to CONCACAF, to the Mexican national team, it's not going to happen. We're, we're taking crazy pills if we think it's going to happen. He was an Inter Milan, and then he went to to Spurs. And when you can say whatever you want about Spurs, that's still a big six team. That's a massive team in world football. He can have his pick of the litter in other places. He's not just going to turn around and say, well, guess what? Yeah, I, I, I'll go do the Mexican national team mm-hmm. in a place that's exotic that I've never seen before, that, I've, that I don't know about. Yeah, l- let me pick up the phone. Sure. What's your name? La Bomba, they say they call you? Yeah, I'll do that. That's not how it works. But if that was the case... Okay, sure, but do you think a better coach in general would make these players be better that much Yes, better? that's how it works. Hold on, hold on, <laughs> hold on. Let me finish. You think that's the problem right now? It's these players not being better coached? There are many, many deep-seated issues in Mexican football. We don't have, a, we don't have time to address them all. I think getting the, the, the coach right would be great. Give me some of those crazy pills. I'll take Antonio Conte uh, any day. I'll take an ambitious hire from the Mexican Federation if they want to do so. But for now, for now, we're happy with Jimmy Lozano and the uh, Lamborghini Jimmy <laughs> as it rolls on down the road. All right, uh, we have some other big news about the Mexican national team. One of its players, Edson Alvarez, finally has a new home. The 25-year-old El Tri International uh, is set to move from Ajax to West Ham as a replacement for Declan Rice. This after failed moves to Chelsea and Dortmund, thanks to Ajax and that high asking price. By the way, Fabrizio Romano reporting that the fee that Ajax will get will be around 40 million euros. 
Herc, those are some big shoes to fill. Do you like the move to West Ham for Edson Alvarez? I love the move for Edson Alvarez because it's, it's the Premier League. Listen, I know that we had aspirations um, for Edson Alvarez. I, I think he's the most, I think he's the best defensive midfielder in CONCACAF. And at one point, you had teams like Chelsea looking for his services. Chelsea put up a $50 million bid for Ajax that Ajax turned down. They went another road, another route, and they went for Enzo Fernandez and spent that crazy amount of money on him. And then you have teams like Borussia Dortmund who are looking at Edson Alvarez. And then guess what? Too much money? We're going to go elsewhere as well. I know it's not a top A team, that mm -hmm. type of team, but it's still the best team in the world, oh, I'm sorry, excuse me, excuse me, it's still the best league in the world that Edson Alvarez is going to, that he will have top competition day in, day out. And when there are less and less Mexican players playing abroad at the highest of levels, and when just any of those Mexican players playing abroad at any level are coming back, here's a Mexican player that says, you know what, I'm going to test myself in the deepest of waters. It is worrying that he will be filling shoes of a $100 million midfielder mm. Um, mm. But this is a big club. How big a worry? How big a worry is that for you? You've been in a player's shoes. How, how big a problem is that when you're stepping into that type of situation? Listen, this is a conference league team, but the winners of the conference league, right? This is a, a player that he's replacing <laughs> that was sold for over $100 million, And you look at the ranks, ranked first in everything in his team. He's, he's a club legend there at such a young age. He will be compared to everything Declan Rice was. Every move he makes will be compared to Declan Rice. That is daunting. That is daunting if you're a Mexican national team fan, if you're a fan of, of Edson Alvarez, if you're Edson Alvarez himself. But this is what you want to go to the big mm -hmm. show for. This is what you mm -hmm. want to be in the deep waters for, to prove that you're one of those big fish. It's an amazing opportunity in the best league in the world and one that you cannot turn down. You know what's interesting? I was talking to someone that knows David Moyes quite well recently. And they weren't talking about Edson Alvarez. David Moyes was asking about Weston McKinney. So um, obviously things may have changed with Weston McKinney, but maybe there's a midfield in the future for West Ham that involves both uh, Edson Alvarez and Weston McKinney. I got to be honest with you, Herc. I love this. Uh, I have a lot of respect for Edson Alvarez, but I'm not crazy to think that he could be on a team like Chelsea and be guaranteed playing time. Or even a club like Borussia Dortmund, which I think is a level above West Ham. I think what's very clear here is that this is a good fit. Yes, they're going to be in Europa League. They weren't that far out of the relegation fight last year. This is a place where Edson Alvarez should be able to step in, play every week, have some patience around him. Maybe the expectations won't be what they would be at a bigger club. And by the way, it's still a situation, Herc, and I think he's still at an age of 25 where this is not necessarily... The, the, the high point, the high watermark of his career. This could absolutely, after a couple good years at West Ham, lead to a much bigger move, the type of move that maybe some fans were hoping they'd get for Edson Alvarez this time around. I mean, hopefully. That's, the, that's one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is that for the Premier League teams, dropping 40-plus million dollars like Edson Alvarez, that in Mexican transfer history would make him the top. Uh, would be a drop in the hat for these Premier League teams. And if it didn't pan out, they just move on to the next. That's a harsh hmm. reality. So it, very deep waters. But I repeat, it's a massive opportunity that you just cannot turn down if you're Edson Alvarez.
Of course, uh, Edson started his career in Liga MX with Club América. Speaking of Liga MX, some big news, Herc, out of Mexico uh, involving one of your former managers. Cruz Azul have fired Tuca Ferretti. That's right, he was hired just back in February. Cruz Azul were 0-3 to start the Liga MX season before the League's Cup break. They crashed out of the League's Cup in the round of 32 against Charlotte. This, by the way, the first time in his career that the 69-year-old manager has been fired. Herc, what's the story here? Is Cruz Azul the problem or is Tuca the problem? Well, in this specific scenario, it's Cruz Azul. Now, you can make an argument that maybe it's time for Tuca to move on right into the sunset, 32 mm -hmm. years, right? And it's the first time he's ever been fired. The winningest coach in Mexican football. Uh, multiple championships with, with multiple teams. When it all goes down, when it's all said and done, they will say Tuca was the best coach in Mexican football. It's, it's that simple. Um, but in this specific case, it's not Tuca. You're talking about a guy who came in towards the end of last season and in the offseason asked for players, and they gave him two. They hmm. gave him Carlos Salcedo, a center back, and Jesus Dueñas, a, a, a midfielder, an older midfielder. And, and they didn't bring in everything else he asked for, the center forward he asked for, the wingers he asked for, the more depth uh, to that team that he asked for. And, and, and it was three league games, which I would argue are somewhat circumstantial. In those three league games, they had two red cards that affected the first two games. Uh, he didn't even have a goalkeeper. It's Jurado and Gudinho alternating every two games because there is no goalkeeper. So it's a lot of circumstantial things, but it comes down to the brass tacks. The directiva, the board mm -hmm. at Cruz Azul is a dumpster fire. For the better part of the last decade, they've either been on the run or in tax embezzlements or in and out of different positions and different people in charge. Uh, and it's come to this. It's come to a, a big team in name and in fan base that no longer has the capacity of bringing you the results and no longer has the trust of its people that the people in charge can do the right thing to bring these results. So he happened to be just a circumstantial loss, if you will, uh, of what is going on in Cruz Azul today. He got there in February, and I think by earlier this summer, there were already reports that he was kind of clashing with the directiva, right, with the front office. So I think you could kind of see this coming. When we did our Liga Mekis season preview, I really felt like this was the end for Tuca. I thought like it was time for him to ride off into the sunset based on what we'd seen at Juarez, what we'd seen in the, the first season at Cruz Azul. You mentioned that just a few seconds ago. Do you feel that way now after seeing this end at Cruz Azul, that his time as a manager in, in Liga Mekis is over? Yeah, just because of the trend that we're seeing in not only Liga Mekis, but just world football, managers are getting younger. They're getting younger mm. and younger. And sometimes they don't care about the manager's experience, but they believe in the, in the message and what he's selling and what he could possibly <clears throat> provide in the future. Uh, Tuca Ferretti is not a guy that's going to give you hope on the future. If you're no. hiring Tuca Ferretti, it's because you need something now. And as of late, in the last 15 years, Tuca's uh, success has come with some very big teams, very big rosters. I don't see any of those big rosters. I don't see a Tigres. I don't see a Monterrey. I don't see a, an America. I don't see a, a Chivas, if you will. I don't see those clubs opening up the checkbook and say, go ahead, try again. Um, so this may be it for Tuca. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. 
Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. All right, Herc, time for our parting shot here on this edition of Football Americas. We're talking USL. Sacramento Republic has, get this, Herc, Signed a 13-year-old. That's right. Davion Kimbrough scored 61 goals in his last two academy seasons. He's now eligible to play for the first team. And Sacramento are claiming that he's the youngest pro athlete in American team sports history at 13 years, 5 months, and 13 days. Herc, he's 13! What are they feeding these kids, Seb? Uh, I, I'm not even kidding. Like, the kid's your size already in these 13. <laughs> Steady. No, I'm being honest. He's definitely taller than me. No, kids nowadays are so much more advanced just in general. Now added to the sport. And now, Ali, Ali mentioned this, right? You need your players in a professional mm. setting already. Uh, you, you don't need them thinking about other things besides the actual sport. They can think about those things. That's fine. But what I mean is, when you're actually playing the game, they need to be about the game in the earliest ages possible. That's what the rest of the world does. This is what the rest of the world is doing. This is a player that's 13 years of age, and yes, it's USL, but he's going to be around quality competition, quality coaching. I love what Todd Donovan and the Sacramento Republic have done out there. I love that they keep tapping into that very rich youth market they have in, in the Northern California area and Central California at times. They got to keep this going. And, and as far as Davian you know, is concerned, I mean, keep continuing to progress. Don't be just a, do you remember when that 13-year-old you know, signed his professional contract? Big win for the young man, big win for Sacramento Republic, big win for USL, who are opening more and more pathways for young soccer players in this country. All right, that'll do it for this edition of Football Americas. For Hercules Gomez, with a beautiful, beautiful El Salvador Umbro shirt, I'm Sebi Salazar with a sad Club America kit as they go out. Why is there a turkey in front of it? Round of 16. He's Herc. I'm Seb. Thanks for watching. We will see you Thursday at our normal time, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.30 Pacific. Reggie White, who's a defensive end for the Green Bay Packers, says that the firebombing of his church in Knoxville, Tennessee this week was the work of racists who may have been trying to hurt him. First there was one fire, then there was another, then there was another. It wasn't just Reggie's church that burnt down. Hundreds of churches burned in the 90s. I think we have a major problem in our country that we don't want to admit, and that has to do with racism. Was this 1996 or 1956? 30 for 30 podcast and Antsgate presents Through the Flames. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.